Hello and welcome to Twin Talk. This is Angie. And I'm Joy. And today we're going to be discussing Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls, which was written in 1961. Uh, before we start, I just want to say, you know, I've really been dreading this now for this past week ever since we decided to do this book. Uh, do you feel the same way? Yes, I'm afraid <laughs> that I'm going to cry throughout our podcast, but I'll do my best not to. So, I took that into consideration when I wrote out the outline for this podcast, and I tried to stay away from the really, really sad parts, which is incredibly hard to do in this book, mm-hmm. because the whole book revolves around a tragedy, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, so, and then I got this super funny or I read a super funny post on Facebook today, and I thought about sending it to you right before you come over so mm-hmm. we'd be in a good mood, and I forgot to do it. So. Oh, okay. Oh, well, it's all right. Okay, so I had asked you if in your spare time to look up some information on the author. Did you have time to Yes, I did look him? up a few things. I didn't really know a lot. Like she said, this book was written by Wilson Rawls. Uh, he was born in 1913, and uh, He was raised on a farm in the Ozarks. Uh, His mother was part Cherokee, so she was allotted land there. Um, It's 13 miles, I believe it said it was 13 miles northeast of Tahlequah, Oklahoma. So it's basically northeast Oklahoma. And where, oh, so the setting's literally where he grew up? Yes, yeah, so his oh. this is not a true story, but it is based on his childhood experiences. So he really did grow up in the Ozarks, or at least when he was young, and his mother really was part Cherokee, and she really did get that land. So that's funny, because when I think of the Ozarks, I don't necessarily think of Oklahoma. But, I don't yeah. either. Mm-hmm. I think of Missouri, mm-hmm. part of Arkansas. I don't really mm-hmm. think of Oklahoma either, but if, if you mm-hmm. get a map out, I do believe they do cover part mm-hmm. of Oklahoma. Okay. And one other thing I was going to add before we get started was um, I did my term paper in high school over the Ozarks. Oh, okay. And that's, so right off, right off the bat, this book is special to me because it's set in the Ozarks. I've always had a fascination with the Ozarks, mm-hmm. the culture, the beauty, like mm-hmm. there's even the poetry. I remember writing that term paper and including a lot of poetry and things like that and it really is a beautiful area okay okay um he did die in 1984 um so i have a little trivia uh, right off the bat for you uh it says he had very little education Uh, his mother did a lot of his educating and he did attend Mm -hmm. school some but not a lot and but when he was in school he did read a book and it influenced him. It uh, Basically, he said after reading this book, he had this profound desire to become a writer. Do you have any idea what book it was he read while he was in school that influenced him so greatly? I have no idea, but for some reason, The Shepherd of the Hills came to mind. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I will give you it. a hint. I'm, okay. I have never read this book, mm-hmm. but I believe you have, and it's by Jack London. Oh, The Call of the Wild? Yes, yeah. Call of the Wild. Yeah, I've read like children's versions of it. I've never read the actual. Oh, okay. Well, apparently original. this book was his life-changing book. Oh, After okay. he read it, he had this great desire to become a writer. Sadly, though, it was a very lofty dream because his family could not even afford paper and pencils for him to oh. write it on. And from what I understand, he um, really didn't tell many people of his, of his desire. But finally, I don't know where he found the pencil and paper, but he wrote out his manuscript over the years. Mm -hmm. And it was full of so many errors, grammatical spelling errors, that he was embarrassed to show it to anyone. Mm 
and he ended up burning his manuscripts. <gasps> yes, I think there were five different manuscripts he had written over many, many years, and he burned them all. You're not talking about Red Yes, Burn. and oh. one of them, and he named it the Hounds of Youth, I, be- oh. I believe is what his title, or the Secret of the Red Fern, and I think when it was published in the Saturday Evening Post, they changed it to the Hounds of Youth, I'm not sure. But here is the... That's scary. I know, it's sad. <laughs> but here is the breakthrough. He married a, a lady named Sophie Ann Stazinski. Here we go with not knowing how to pronounce names. Oh, wow. <laughs> in 1958. And he finally revealed to her this desire to write. And, that, and he revealed his secret that he had burned all of his manuscripts. And she encouraged him. With her encouragement, he rewrote Where the Red Fern Grows. She helped him with the spelling and editing, etc., they figured out how to get it published. It was not successful. But finally, he was asked to start touring schools. And I, from what I read, he toured over 2,000 schools. And when these teachers at these public schools heard him talking about this book, they were fascinated, and they started ordering the books for their classrooms. And that's okay. when it took off. Wow, So it was not successful at first, but then it took off. And I guess that's basically all I had. Wow, that is interesting. Oh, and one other thing, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, if you want to see the manuscript today, because his mother was part Cherokee, um, the Cherokee Nation has um, all of his manuscripts, anything to do with him, his writing, uh, are located at the Tahlequah Public Library. And just a personal tidbit, and I don't know if you remember this, when we were teenagers, our parents took us to the Cherokee Heritage Center in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Yes, I do remember that. I, I didn't know where we were at. I didn't realize it was Tahlequah. Okay. Uh-huh. I just remember this so well. We were walking through this museum, and behind this glass case was part of the manuscript for where the red fern grows. Hmm. And I was so fascinated that I was actually looking at, it was longhand, what he had actually written out. I was fascinated that I was actually getting to see the actual manuscript. I don't know. This is a long time ago. We were teenagers. Mm-hmm. But if you want to see the actual manuscript, who knows? It may still be at the Tahlequah, uh, at the Cherokee Heritage Center in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Okay. Okay, is that it? And that's it. Okay, thank you. Okay, so for uh, those listening that maybe have never read the book, I thought I would just read the back cover because it's, it's a really good uh, summary of what the book is about. Billy, Old Dan, and Little Ann, a boy and his two dogs. A loving threesome, they ranged the dark hills and river bottoms of Cherokee country. Old Dan had the brawn, Little Ann had the brains, and Billy had the will to train them to be the finest hunting team in the valley. Glory and victory were coming to them, but sadness waited too. And close by was the strange and wonderful power that's only found where the red fern grows. So, hand me a Kleenex. <laughs> okay. Um, I did. Uh, I, I happened to look at just some Spark Notes just this morning. I don't look at Spark Notes a lot, but uh, one thing I did read I thought was very interesting. They said Rawls was able to keep the story emotionally raw and exciting by using the voice of a 12-year-old boy. So if you mm-hmm. think about it, one reason that through the whole book, you're seeing it through the eyes of Billy, the 12. At the time, he got the pups, I guess he was 12. Right. And then um, when he actually started hunting with them, he was 14. So that's why you always have just, you know, this uh, this youthful eagerness throughout mm-hmm. the book. Just innocence. This innocence, mm-hmm. yeah. It's really conveyed through it by using his voice. I thought that was interesting. Uh, so obviously, um, in case the listeners can't tell yet, you and I have a really deep connection to this book. Um You've already touched on a few of the things I was getting ready to ask you, so I'm just going to repeat that. But uh, what elements of the book speak to you and why? Well, definitely the setting. Um, 
because it was set in the Ozarks, and I think it's, I think it's kind of cool. We grew up in the country, and I remember laying in bed at <clears throat> nights with our windows open, and there were a lot of woods around us, and there was a hoon, a coon hunting club. Oh. <laughs> um, and they would go coon hunting around these woods around our house, and I remember hearing them out hunting, and I remember hearing the the hound dogs barking and everything in the middle of the night. And I always thought, oh, that would be so cool just to be out in the dark in the woods, not necessarily hunting, but just out there just to kind of see what they were doing. Yeah, I agree. Um, for me, okay, number one, dogs, period. Yes. Oh, we, you know, everybody loves dogs. Everybody loves dogs. You and I love dogs. We both have dogs. We've had plenty of dogs in the past. Um, I love raccoons. I, I don't know <laughs> why, but I love raccoons. And when we first moved out here... When we first built our house, every night we'd wake up and there'd be a family of raccoons on our back porch eating our dog food. <laughs> and that was one of my favorite things about living out mm-hmm. here, was getting to look out and see those coons. I, just, I know. I've always been fascinated by raccoons, too, and I don't mm-hmm. know why. They're so cute. And, and, you know, I know they're not like little pets or anything, really. But So, for me, too, it was the coons, dogs, Ozark Mountains. And there were so many spiritual elements throughout the book of faith and love mm-hmm. that always hit home um okay so we're going to kind of just we're going to kind of go through the events as they happen in the book um so the very you're going to skip the sad part right yes (laughs) i promise i mean i trust me i'm not going to do anything that's going to make us blubber i hope um you know i was reading the the sad death scene on the porch the other day and i literally had was crying so hard I couldn't see the page. I had tears streaming down my face. <laughs> and you were you had mentioned the other day, how are we going to do this without crying? And I was like, it's not going to be a problem. I started to call you, but I couldn't because I was crying so hard. Right. So, okay. So the first the first thing I want to talk about was uh, puppy fever when he when Billy had mm. puppy fever. I was just curious, have you ever wanted something so badly that you couldn't sleep at night, like Billy and I think so. I can't think of it right off the top of my head, but yes, probably. Okay, so, you know, Cambry, Mm -hmm. there was a period where she had puppy fever. I remember that. Oh, my gosh. I mean, (laughs) every single night, it was, Mama, please, can I please have a puppy? And I remember just seeing that, that want in her eyes mm-hmm. and that and she would almost be in tears and then I didn't get to go with her when she finally got the puppy now it wasn't a prize coon dogs it was just a little <laughs> morky but uh Corby said when she got there she had tears come Aww. up in her eyes and she was so and even to this day she's so proud of that dog mm-hmm. she, you know she loves him so um okay so Billy you know he decides he's going to save up his money and we're going to talk about that in a little bit but um he saves up his money, you know, for two years and decides he's going to save for these dogs. So when he finally does, you know, he gets a notice saying they're in and they're in Tahlequah. And he decides, even though his parents don't know this, he decides he's going to walk to Tahlequah to get the puppies. Do you remember much about that scene and his trip to town to pick up the dogs mm-hmm. and, his aunt and his trip home? Was there anything in particular that stood out to you? Oh, it's just sad that he, when he was taking little land, uh, Big Dan and Little Ann. Am mm-hmm. I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when he was, he thought, oh, everyone's going to look at me and, and they're going to think, basically, I'm this awesome boy with these awesome puppies. But instead, everybody made fun of him. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of heartbreaking that mm-hmm. he he was so proud, but yet he did not get the reception that he thought he would. 
Yeah, he was poor, and I don't think he realized he was. Right. You know, I don't think he, he really, he never, he didn't view himself the way the townsfolk viewed him. So right. It was really sad. And, of course, you can't help but think of our dad and his right. growing up. He was poor. Yeah, everyone we know that grew up poor, they always said we didn't know we were poor. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, So... And then, of course, on the way home, they have the encounter in the cave, you know, with the yeah. mountain lion and his puppies. I always and... like that scene. I don't know why. It's just a little boy with his two puppies, and he builds the big fire, and the mountain lion's um, all around him. And mm-hmm. I guess that's a little bit of a foreshadowing there. I yeah. never thought about it till just now, but I guess that's foreshadowing future events. Yes. when At, at the end, when they have to face a, another mountain lion, the, mm-hmm. I actually read something that said this shows where the book comes full circle. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, okay. Kleenex. Kleenex, please. Um, okay, so we know once he gets his puppies home, he starts training them. And that's a long process, you know, where he has to kill a coon and he has to drag the coon skin all over the country. Right. And he te- teaches them how to, you know, find the scent and all that. Um, so they finally go out for their first night of hunting. And Billy is so excited because they do tree their first coon Uh problem big problem <laughs> big problem big problem he, they go up uh, he finds them in a tree and what was the problem <laughs> it was the biggest tree in the bottoms i believe he even mm-hmm. called it did he call it the big tree i can't remember I think he called it the big tree the big it was tree just known as the big tree. <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean in, in the way that the he describes the tree in the book it was just it had to have been like one of those giant red oak type trees or right. something. it was absolutely huge um what about that event revealed billy's character well, we already know he has grit because mm-hmm. he saved two years for these dogs and he mm-hmm. worked really, really hard. Like the sheriff said in Tahlequah when he was talking, do you remember, was it the sheriff talking to him and said there's not a kid in that bunch that has that much gumption mm-hmm. or grit or something like that. It just it just further reveals his determination, his grit, that he's made out of some solid stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he that he's even offered help by his dad. Hey, I'll help you cut the tree down. And he's like, nope, I promised my dogs I would do it. I'm mm-hmm. going to do it, you know. And I thought, how many boys that age nowadays would do that? Right. None that I know of. Um, okay, so the next big thing really that happened was, um, and they're, they're out hunting one night. This is a separate night. And Anne falls through some ice. And she's hanging on for dear life with her little paws. I can just see her little head above the water. Um what kind of emotions did you feel during that scene when you're just picturing little Anne there stuck on the ice? Well, of course, you know, it's, uh, it's excitement, but it's also, you're on the edge of your seat, you know, oh, I hope she makes it. What's going to happen? I mean, he really is a good writer to keep you uh, engaged in the text. Oh, definitely. I mean, I just felt so much pity for the dog and panic, but you know, Billy, he, he's innovative and he comes up with a way to save her. And we're going to talk about that in just, just a little while. Uh, do you remember when, um, Billy walks to his grandfather's store and he has an encounter with the Pritchard boys. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like the book says, the, there seems to be a family like the Pritchards in every town. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and that is true. I believe that, that too. Yeah. True. Every town has a, has a family like the Pritchards. Right. I do believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the boys, they're characterized as being mean and selfish. They, they don't have, I don't know if you remember, but they didn't have any manners. They kept spitting tobacco right. on grandpa's clean floor. Um, and then they kept coercing Billy to make a bet. You know, they just kept on mm-hmm. and on and on, and like you know, wanting to bet. Right. His if dogs. you reread that, it's really the grandfather who jumps in there mm-hmm. and really wants to take on the bet. It's really not Billy. The grandfather is the one that gets him in all the trouble. Oh, I feel. <laughs> oh, you just. 
Sorry. We do that. That's okay. My <laughs> next question was, what was the bet and who accepted the bet? Right. <laughs> so you're right. The, it, really and truly, they... The grandfather was acting more like a kid than Billy yes, was. Yes, and mm-hmm. the grandfather cracks me up through the whole book because mm-hmm. he really is more like the kid than, yeah. than Billy. Um, so yeah, you're right. It, they didn't really get to Billy so much as they got to the grandpa. Right. So, okay. So, um, of course, you know, the, the bet was, we don't think your dogs can tree... The ghost coon. The ghost coon. The ghost coon is this... I love the character of the ghost coon. Mm -hmm. Larger than life. No one can catch him. He seems to just disappear into thin air. You know, he's another... Even though he's not a human, he's one of the larger than life characters in the book. Yes. Yeah, I love the ghost coon, too, because you're just... You're thinking, there's something supernatural about this coon, but what is it, you know? Um, So... Um, you know, unfortunately, that was a sad part of the book, the night that they go to capture the ghost coon. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so after numerous tricks by the ghost coon, uh, little Anne finally does tree him. But it's kind of surprisingly, Billy doesn't want to kill the coon out of mm-hmm. respect for the coon. You know, he's in, yeah. uh, in the Pritchard's dog, Old Blue, he shows up and, of course, a fight ensues between him and little Anne and old Dan. And then Reuben grabs the axe and he runs toward the fight and he trips and falls on falls on the axe, which yeah. results in his death. Um, so this passage, in my opinion, it really revealed the the stark differences in these boys' characters uh, and you know the attributes that they had. So I, I just was curious. Do you think that, given the Pritchard's background, do you think this death seems seems even more tragic? Yes. <laughs> okay. I don't know. There's a life kept short, but what kind of life would he have had even if he had not died at a young age? I know that sounds callous. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like it's tragic to me because if he hadn't had that sort of raising, I don't think that would have ever happened. Right, yeah. Uh, and then he Billy says something a little odd during that, and I don't understand it. But he said when after that happened, the thought came up in his mind, there is a little good in all evil. And I, I can't make sense of that. Do you I don't remember that, that quote. So is this after he fell on the axe and died? Yes, after he fell on the axe, Billy said, I don't know why, but he said he remembered a saying, there is a little good in all evil. Hmm. Yeah. I, was I don't way. know. I'd have to reread all the passages around it, too, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, hmm. That's deep thoughts. Deep thoughts, <laughs> okay. yeah. All right. So after the death of Reuben Pritchard uh, comes one of my favorite parts of the of the book, which is the big coon hunting championship. Um, and this isn't just any contest, you know, not just mm-hmm. any dogs can enter this contest. And of course the grandpa's the one that finds out about it and he paid, and there's an entry fee and you, your dogs have to have an average so many uh, coon skins to even be able to be eligible. Uh, only the best of the best are there. And um, I just love this part of the book because it's the classic underdog story. Yes, it's definitely David versus Goliath. You got the poor little country boy mm-hmm. against all of these men, grown men, who have done this their whole lives and have the money probably to really buy the best dogs and do the best training. And they've probably been in mm-hmm. countless tournaments. And you have little Billy, you mm-hmm. know, who has never been in a tournament. He's definitely definitely the underdog. I love how you <laughs> answer my underdog. questions before I ever ask them. That's definitely a twin, twin thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the question was going to be is there anything about the coon hunting context contest that causes you to feel sympathy for billy and you Mm -hmm. you said that very well so uh personally i just remember he was kind of thinking about his the little homemade collars and they had little bits of rope they had these little cut off bailing wire and Mm -hmm. stuff like that right right so okay so after i'm not really going to go really into the the whole 
coon hunting. There was so much. That I know. Happened there was so that. much that happened during the tournament. So, so I basically just summarized that whole part by saying, uh, uh, after a chain of events, many exciting moments, such as Grandpa falling and breaking his leg, <laughs> and the dogs almost freezing to death, Big Dan and Little Ann win the championship cup. Woo-hoo! So that's that's one of that's the one of the highlights. Yes. Of the, you know of the book. Okay. So as we near the ending, I've decided not to discuss the tragic ending. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I do not want to recount the deaths of Big Ann and Little Ang because that would like it would be like revisiting a painful detail of the death of a loved one. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And for those listening who've never read the book, I will say the dogs died while trying to protect. Protect Billy from a mountain lion, just so they'll kind of know what happened. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I shouldn't have done the spoiler. Ah, uh, that's okay. And I would like to meet the person who can read this passage without crying. Me too, yeah. you callous person. Who yeah. are you? Exactly. Who out there <laughs> can read this and not cry? Uh, <laughs> was there ever a point during the chapter, the death scene, that you just wanted to call up Rawls from his grave and say, Enough already. Why are you doing mm-hmm. this? And that's how I felt. I was like, can you lay Yeah, we've this already on lost anything? one dog. Why do we have to lose a second one? I literally was And not like, just that. Then he had to leave his childhood home, his place yeah. that he loved so much. Yeah. It it's was, not just the heartbreak of losing the dogs, it's having to leave their home. I'm out there on the porch in the rocker reading this, blowing my eyes. I'm like, okay, it's bad enough that little Dan dies and then it's very Or old Dan. I'm sorry, I don't know why I said that. Old Dan. Yeah, it's bad enough that, that he dies and then he has kind of a very it's kind of a morbid scene there when they discuss him dying and mm-hmm. walking home. You know, that's bad enough. And then little Ann, she loses mm-hmm. her will to live. And I'm like, and, you know, and then she drags herself to his grave. And I'm literally going, stop. Please. Yeah, just I cannot stop take the madness. Stop it. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Okay. So we're going to kind of start to wrap this up a little bit. Um, I'd like to talk about a theme that runs throughout the book. And that's the supernatural elements in the book. Uh, they seem to pop up every time there's a climax in the book. Mm-hmm. And instead of asking you trivia, uh, I'm going to test your memory to Ooh, see okay. if you can recount these supernatural acts that took place in each of the following Ooh, situations. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. Number one. All right. So Billy is longing for pups, okay? This is when he's in his puppy fever phase, okay? He finds something that fuels his desire even more. Is he laying in bed and hears the dogs at night? Outside the window? That honey. could be, but that's not what I'm interested in. Oh, really it was a magazine them. or a newspaper mm-hmm. article that talked about these dogs that were for sale, like in Kentucky mm-hmm. or somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So he, I believe he was cleaning up after a fishing party because he always oh. would find pretty cool stuff. And okay. he finds a magazine and on the back page there's an ad for okay. some dogs. Okay. And then when he actually gets the dogs, he comes back through and... He can't think of a name for his dogs, mm-hmm. but he sees something that that basically... Was it carved into a tree? Mm-hmm. Was it like a heart? Yes. Like Dan and Ann? Yeah. Dan loves Ann or I something like that? I believe there was a heart that said Dan loves Ann or something to that effect. Okay. And do you know where the tree was located? Uh-oh. Was it near where he found the magazine? I believe it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I, you know, once again, people can say, oh, that was that a coincidence right. or not, you know. Okay, so number two, the dogs tree their first coon, and Billy has to cut the biggest tree in the bottoms down. He has absolutely no physical strength left. Remember, he's got blisters Mm -hmm. on his hands, and his back's killing him. He just literally cannot Mm -hmm. swing the axe one more time when it seems that Mother Nature steps in. What happens? Oh, I remember this. A wind said all the trees were still. 
except for a wind started blowing through the top branches of this wasn't it a sycamore this huge Maybe, I sycamore know. i think and then all of a sudden this wind starts pushing this tree over and it was really the wind mm-hmm. or something else yes because he doesn't see wind anywhere except, except the for in the that top tree. of that and sycamore next thing you know, the tree is toppled over yes Okay, number three. Little Ann is trapped in the ice, and Billy has given her up for dead. He almost walks away several times because he can't stand to watch her die. Uh, but he's able to use something to save her life. Do you remember how oh my goodness. he saved her life? I do not remember this, how he got to her. I was hoping you would remember. Because, I mean, I know it was he used his lantern. Somehow he unhooked uh, the handle of the lantern, and okay. I think he used it as a hook. And, like, hooked it to her collar, yes, maybe? yeah. And there was something supernatural about that scene. I cannot and, remember. And I don't remember, but it was a miracle that he was able to hook okay, her. Okay, I'd have to go back and reread yeah, that. I don't remember yeah. that. And then this last part, you may not see where I'm going with this, but just the winning of the contest, mm-hmm. they received something mm-hmm. unexpectedly besides the, right. the gold cup. Was it $2,000? Well, they or... receive a jackpot. I think it was like $300, which would be the equivalent of uh, Oh, okay. I guess that would be a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I just remember it was enough money that they could sell their farm and move to town where he could get a formal education, which was the mother's dream. Right. So, in my opinion, just the fact that they won the mm-hmm. contest was, was kind of a supernatural thing in itself, and because it was an it was the answer to his mother's prayer. Yes, and the timing of the deaths of the dogs, like the dad was saying... We knew we couldn't take the dogs with us if we're going to be living in the city. Mm-hmm. They're they're meant to be out here in the country. So really, the timing of their deaths could be a supernatural thing because it was right at that time that they were about to move, mm-hmm. and they couldn't take the dogs with them, and it would have broken his heart to have to leave them there. Right, yeah. Okay, so I just wanted to mention a couple of details in the book I thought were interesting. Um, well, first of all, the book is just full of life lessons, and Mm-hmm. You'll, I mean, they're obvious, but um, you hard know, work pays off. Okay, yep. As God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. When he saved up his money, and then when he chopped down the tree, I wrote, "God honors hard work and integrity." Mm-hmm. So exactly what you just said. Uh, oh, do you remember this part was funny? I thought there was a scene in the book where Dan goes up into a hollow tree and he goes out onto a limb that's about eight feet above the ground, mm-hmm. and he can't get down. I don't remember that. Uh, <laughs> well, he can't get down, so Billy has to sh- climb. He Somehow he works his way and gets up there on the limb with him because he's okay. afraid if the coon jumps that a that, man will, oh, jump. will jump and fall on him. Yeah. So on that situation, I thought it was funny. I thought God sometimes has to um, – can't read my writing. Oh, sometimes he rescues us from our own stupid mistakes. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. All right, and then, I don't know if you remember, but Anne wins the little beauty contest. They have oh, I forgot. Okay, <laughs> and we have to remind, if if anyone's out there listening, we have the copy of where the red fern grows in front of us. And on the inside cover, it has my sister Angie's name, and it says January 1985. Yeah. <laughs> and I did skim through the book, but I didn't reread it. I just skimmed over it. So I know I remember the book, but mm-hmm. the little details I'm having trouble coming up with right now. Well, I don't remember 
her winning the little, little beauty, beauty contest. Cute. Yeah, Aww. and I thought, you know, God sees beauty when others don't. Because oh, a lot of good. people made fun of him yeah. and his dogs because they were so small. But oh, the judge good. saw that she was thought she was beautiful. Hmm. Um, and then the other thing I noticed when the, the scene that we're not going to talk about with the mountain lion, um, they called him the devil cat of the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how fitting... Because mm-hmm. the devil always brings death and destruction, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that he was the devil cat. Yeah. And then one of my saddest moments, I think I'm strong enough to say this right oh, now. Oh, boy. Yeah, okay. One of my saddest moments was that Billy actually buried old Dan were in a spot where he could hear the other dogs hunting. Oh. And I was like, oh, my. That part made me cry. Yeah. And, that, and right now I feel a little strong so I can say that. But uh, <laughs> So... Rawlings, you know, he forces us to ask the age-old question of why. Yeah. And it's funny why? you just said Rawlings because I do that oh, all the time. I, I it's not a big deal, but I always no. want to say Rawlings, too. But it's raw. I don't know. Maybe it's because, isn't that like a manufacturer of yes. baseball gloves? Yes. It, it's, well, my it life, was written on our ball gloves. My life revolves around sports, and my house is full of Rawlings Yes, and I think that's why think we're that's saying why Rawlings. Say but sorry, listeners, it, we know it's Rawls. So if we say no. Rawlings, we have sports stuff no, all I'm around us. In on a very poignant, poignant moment oh. that we were. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I was probably going to cry. Oh, okay. Just talking about why bad things happen to good people. All so. right. Uh, and we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the legend of the red ferns. Okay, the, honestly, mm-hmm. out of the whole book, mm-hmm. this is the part. It's not. It, it yes, the death of the dogs makes me cry. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. It's. When, you, when they're talking about the red fern, that's where I cry the hardest. Oh. So I may not be able to comment here. Okay. But go ahead. Well, I was just going to read, you know, as long as I'm reading this and I'm not, it's not actually coming from my heart, you know, then maybe I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Basically, the bottom line is that anywhere a red fern grows, the ground is considered sacred. And, you know, the, the legend says that only an angel can plant a red fern right mm-hmm. uh and that where uh, a red fern can never die right okay so uh and what do you think the red fern symbolizes are you going to be able to say? i think so <laughs> it just symbol to me it just said hey these dogs really were special Mm-hmm. Um, this is a sign that they really were special. Their lives meant something. It, to me, it was just confirmation to Billy mm-hmm. and his family mm-hmm. that their deaths were not in vain, that they were special. And, hey, they were the reason that the the mother's dream came true and that they got to move to the city and have a better life for the family. I agree with all that, but I still don't know why I understand why they had to die. I can't get past it. But, I don't know. Yeah, it wouldn't be the classic it is today, probably. No, if, if they probably died, not. So. All right, so we are down to the reading of our favorite passages. So, do okay. you, you, so obviously you must have not picked out a tearjerker passage. No, there's no way. Honestly, if I, I really were truthful, I would probably have picked the passage at the end where they go to the graves, mm-hmm. they're looking back over the valley, they're saying goodbye to their home, and they see the red fern. But I can't because I'm a baby, and I'll blubber. I'll blubber like a baby. Okay. So I just chose um, a passage from it's at the beginning of the book, and like I said, I think the Ozarks are beautiful the culture the poetry everything about it i love and so i just picked a little passage uh, to show the beautiful writing and how good uh, how good he was at writing about setting so our home was in a beautiful valley far back in the rugged ozarks the country was new and sparsely settled the land we lived on was cherokee land allotted to my mother because of the cherokee blood that flowed in her veins it lay in a strip from the foothills of the mountains to the banks of the Illinois River in northeastern Oklahoma. 
The land was rich, black, and fertile. Papa said it would grow hair on a crosscut saw. He was the first man to stick the cold, still point of a turning plow into the virgin soil. Mama had picked the spot for our log house. It nestled at the edge of the foothills in the mouth of a small canyon and was surrounded by a grove of huge red oaks. Behind our house, one could see miles and miles of the mighty Ozarks. In the spring, the aromatic scent of wildflowers, redbuds, pawpaws, and dogwoods drifting on the wind currents spread over the valley and around our home. Below our fields, twisting and winding, ran the clear blue waters of the Illinois River. The banks were cool and shady. The rich bottom land near the river was studded with tall sycamores, birches, and box elders. To a 10-year-old country boy, it was the most beautiful place in the whole wide world, and I took advantage of the, and I took advantage of it all. I want to live there. Me too. Yeah, I, I will say that was one of my favorite passages too. So I was wondering if you might have picked that passage. Well, I thought we might have a twin moment, but I guess we didn't this time. So I chose um, the passage. It was their first hunt. Okay. So, and even though this isn't sad, I still might get a little emotional. I don't know. Uh, okay. It was a beautiful night, still and frosty. A big grinning Ozark moon had the countryside bathed in a soft yellow glow. The starlit heaven reminded me of a large blue umbrella outspread and with the handle broken off. Just before I reached the timber, I called my dogs to me. Now the trail will be a little different tonight, I whispered. It won't be a hide dragged on the ground. It'll be the real thing. So remember everything I taught you, and I'm depending on you. Just put one up in a tree, and I'll do the rest. I turned them loose, saying, go get them. They streaked for the timber. By the time I had reached the river, every nerve in my body was drawn up as tight as a fiddle string. Big-eyed and with ears open, I walked on, stopping now and then to listen. The way I was... Slipping along, anyone would have thought I was trying to slip up on a coon myself. I had never seen a night so peaceful and still. All around me, tall sycamores gleamed like white streamers in the moonlight. A prowling skunk came wobbling up the riverbank. He stopped when he saw me. I smiled at the foxfire glow of his small, beady red eyes. He turned and disappeared in the underbrush. I heard a sharp snap and a feathery rustle in some brush close by. A small rodent started squealing in agony. A nighthawk had found his supper. Across the river and from far back in the rugged mountains, I heard the baying of a hound. I wondered if it was the same one I had heard from my window on those nights so long ago. Although my eyes were seeing the wonders of the night, my ears were ever alert, listening for the sound of my hounds telling me they had found a trail. I was expecting one of them to bawl, but when it came, it startled me. The deep tones of old Dan's voice jarred the silence around me. I dropped my axe and almost dropped my lantern. A strange feeling came over me. I took a deep breath and threw back my head to give the call of the hunter, but something went wrong. My throat felt like it had been tied in a knot. I swallowed a couple of times and the knot disappeared. As loud as I could, I whooped, Woo-ee! Get him, Dan, get him! Little Anne came in. The bell-like tones of her voice made shivers run up and down my spine. I whooped to her, Woo-ee! Tell it to him, little girl, tell it to him. This was what I had prayed for, worked and sweated for, my own little hounds bawling on the trail of a river coon. I don't know why I cried, but I did. While the tears rolled, I whooped again and again. So that was their first hunt, and I uh, thought that was a beautiful passage. Too. Very, yeah. Once again, mm -hmm. a man with very little education, mm -hmm. couldn't spell, didn't really know how to write, as far as but a, just an incredible storyteller. Yeah, and the fact that so much of this I just came from personal experience, I think that's why it felt so genuine and real. Personal experience meaning 
Meaning he grew up poor. Oh, right, and, uh, right. He lived in that setting. Right. And so he, you know, it, it was genuine. I was thinking you were talking about yourself. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean sorry. His, his, My mom it was, was wondering. so okay. personal to him. Right. The story, so. Right. Okay, okay, Joy. How many coonskins are we going to give? Oh, my Where goodness. Well, once again, we're doing some of our all-time favorite books. Mm-hmm. So I have to give it five coonskins. How about you? Five here, too. Yeah. Yeah. So any last words? Um, no, not for me. How about you? No. Let's just, let's try to do a more upbeat, happy book next Definitely. time. Definitely. We got to do a happier book yeah. next time. Not but. saying, I mean, the book's awesome. The book's It'll awesome. It'll always be my, one of my favorites. But it's a tearjerker. But it is a tearjerker. <laughs> yeah. So until next time, this is Angie. And this is Joy. On Twin, Twin Talk. Talk.